Well, welcome to another Art of Relationships podcast. It's really good to have you here with us. We have uh, Tim, a special guest today. Oh, a good friend, an old friend of ours. Uh, he's been on before, and it's our pleasure to introduce you to Dave Wilson. Uh, Dave is one of the co-founders and teaching pastors at Kensington Community Church, a national multi-campus church that hosts more than 14,000 attendees every weekend. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. And he's in a really cool place. Mm -hmm. He's from my hometown, Detroit, Michigan. Yay. I'm so glad the Red Wings finally won a game. How tragic is that to say? Um, They have been featured speakers at Family Life Weekend to Remember conferences. They also host their own conferences all across the country. Uh, they have three grown sons. Uh, they're one of our favorite marriage experts. They have a brand new book called Vertical Marriage, The One Secret That Will Change Your Marriage. So Dave, uh, uh, one fun fact before we get on to Kensington Church, a wonderful church in the heart of Detroit, is that you, if I get this correctly, you were the longest or second longest running chaplain in the National Football League with the Detroit Lions? <laughs> Uh, the only thing that matters about that is I know this stat is true. I am the losingest chaplain <laughs> in the history of the NFL. I am not kidding. I've had people email me, tweet me. They looked it up. I didn't even look it up. They looked it up and said, you have lost 318 games in 33 seasons. No way. So that I know is verified. So yes, it's me. My prayers don't work. I I prayed for a victory every single weekend. And obviously I don't have a direct connection. Well, and they especially don't work in Green Bay. Right? <laughs> <laughs> worked last year. Hey, no, that's right. Year. That's right. What a way to go out. You it's were chaplain. How many years were you chaplain? 33 seasons. Man, that's great, Dave. Great. That's awesome. Uh, that is uh, 12 coaches. <laughs> oh, you're kidding. Three general managers. I mean, it's. Uh, four presidents. I mean, it's just, uh, <laughs> so I besides, mean, <laughs> so besides your prayer life, what other things did you learn during that time? Um, I learned how to deal with difficulties and trials. Mm-hmm. They develop perseverance. No, actually it was, you know, phenomenal, phenomenal, uh, career with them. And, you know, winning football games was really in, in the scope of what, uh, my wife and I, Ann and I did for the team. It was probably ninth or 10th on the list. I mean, obviously, you know, I'm a, I'm a competitor. We all want to win and I wanted to win as bad as anybody, but we were there to win uh, more important things, men and women to Christ, help their marriages, build them in the, to be disciples of Jesus. So it was, it, there, now, if you want to talk about that, there were incredible, incredible victories in that area over 33 seasons. Dave, give us an example, because I think uh, I think listeners would love to hear just an insight. I think professional football and any professional sport has a lot of interest for people and you have kind of that front row seat. So why don't yeah. you indulge us with a short story? Here, here's a here's a quick one. 2006, I think, or 2007, we had three quarterbacks come into our locker room. Uh, Two of them, John Kitna was our starter and Josh McCown was his backup. Both of them came from other teams and they came in as on fire believers. In fact, the first day of training camp, John put his arm around me. We had talked several times before that day, but he put his arm around me. We were looking at the locker room and he literally looks down at me because he's like 6'3 and I'm like (laughs) 5'10. Well, I used to be 5'10, now I'm 5'8. But uh, (laughs) he looks down at me and he says, tell me about our mission field. Mm-hmm. Literally, those were his words. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this guy gets it. And he did, boy. He 
he knew I'm not here just to be a quarterback. I'm here almost like the apostle Paul. I'm on a missionary journey. I'm supposed to lead people to Christ. And his, his partner, Josh McCown, the backup, man, he was on fire. And John was like this intense evangelist. And Josh was just, just this joy bringer. And together those two had such an impact. They led their third string quarterback, Dan Orlowski to Christ. He's now on ESPN radio broadcasting all around the country, college games. Um, has an, I did Dan, Dan and Tiffany's wedding. And that season, 2007, we baptized 27 players and their wives in one season. And I really think it was because John and Josh and Dan really said, this isn't Dave's ministry. This isn't the chaplain's ministry. This is our ministry. We're here to win men and women to Christ. And they did. God used them like unbelievable. It was like a revival broke out that year. Well, Dave, let me ask, let's stay on this topic for a second. What gave them credibility with the other players that, that a life-altering decision that they were willing to make? What kind of credibility did they have and how did they foster and cultivate that credibility? I would say uh, one word, integrity. They lived it. I, I remember our Bible study that year just grew and grew. We had it in the basement of John's house on Monday nights and you know, a typical Bible study, you know, I've been there a long time, would be, I don't know, 8, 10, 12, maybe players plus wives. And that season, it grew from maybe 8 or 10 to 50, 60. And people were driving two cars to get there to get seats for a Bible study. I was like, what is going on? And several times I can remember looking at a player who walked in the basement and I'd be, you know, sort of surprised that he's there. He doesn't, you know, hadn't shown much spiritual interest. And I remember asking one guy, a defensive back, I said, hey, man, glad you're here. What what brought you here tonight? And he points at John. And he goes, that dude lives it. That dude lives it, and I want to know what he's got because I want it. And he just, just pointed at him. I remember one time I was talking to Calvin Johnson, who, uh, you know, I was talking to him after practice one day, and he said, dude, you should have been here at practice. He goes, Kitna blew up. I go, what? He lost it, man. A linebacker grabbed me and was throwing me down. We're not allowed to hit. And this guy hit me. And John came running at him and started screaming at him and telling him, you're not allowed to hit Calvin, blah, blah, blah. And I go, wow, what happened? He goes, here's the thing that was amazing. He goes, I ran over to John afterwards and I went, dude, you lost your mind and you never cursed. I never heard you curse. I've never seen a guy do that in my life. That's amazing. He walked away. And again, it was just one of those, you know, moments where it just reminded me how powerful our life is. It's more powerful than our words. You know, it's just like, do we live what we're saying? And those guys did, and people were drawn to it. Uh, Dave, was John married? Yeah, John was married to Jenny. Uh, they're still still married. They've got kids. Um, you you want to hear another great story? The day he got here, he said he called me up and said, "Can you find me a babysitter? Every Monday night is a date night for me and Jenny." And uh, I want the same sitter every week. It was one of the best, you know, marriages I've ever seen in the NFL. I mean, I've seen a lot of them and John was just one of them. It was just awesome. And part of it was he was committed to not just playing football, but being a man of God and a husband and a dad. That's great. And so you would say that their marriage was scrutinized almost as much as he was scrutinized. Oh, definitely. You know, and I don't know if you guys know this, the divorce rate in the NFL is 85%. You are kidding. It's, it's astounding. Often it's after the career because uh, so often the guy gets his identity from his, you know, what he does. And then when he's not doing it, he sort of falls apart and wives after that leave. Um, and so to have a, a great marriage in that 
business is really rare and really, uh, you know, people follow it. They want to know why, how do you make this work? And so obviously Ann and I taught a lot on marriage in our Detroit Lions uh, small group Bible study. Man, that's great. Hey, being a lifelong Detroit Lions fan, uh, <laughs> seriously, it is great to know the imprint that you had on not only uh, the football players, but you've had a huge imprint on Detroit itself. T- tell us a little bit about Ken- Kensington Church, uh, the genesis of it, and then kind of the impact of it. We, I think listeners would be fascinated to see what started off pretty small, just really took on huge proportions and influence within the city. Yeah, we started, uh, like you said, pretty small in 1990 with uh, about 43 people in our little core group. You know, when I say 43, we counted dogs, cats, (laughs) you know, because we had nobody. But uh, we sort of had a dream as Steve Andrews and myself and uh, Mark Nelson, three three of us and our wives, had a dream to start a church that would reach people that don't go to church. It was just sort of our goal. 28 years later, it's still sort of the... The thing we're trying to do is reach unchurched men that, uh, you know, might not, we, did, we, we love other churches. We didn't want to draw people away from other churches. We wanted to, to reach people that didn't come. And, you know, it's pretty amazing. Uh, God blessed from day one. Our first service had over a thousand people uh, just out of nowhere. And, and again, as I look back on it, you know, our first service was in a middle school on a Sunday, but on Friday, the Friday before that, there was an article that we thought would be a little tiny article in the religion section of the newspaper because a religion person came out and interviewed us. We, we pick up our paper on Friday morning, the, the Detroit Free Press, I think 6 million subscribers at that time. Wow. It's on the front page. Oh, Front page, it's got, an, I'll never forget, it's got an article about the four greatest uh, athletes in Detroit, Barry Sanders, um, Steve Eiserman, Joe Dumars, and who am I missing? Baseball? Yeah, Alan Trammell. Yeah, Alan Trammell. And then right below that article, new church starts in Oakland County, Kensington. And there's a big picture and this, you know, because to them it was a novel idea that, wait, 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 you're, you're going to start a church for people that don't go to church? What's that mean? What's that look like? So people came curious and it never stopped growing. It was just, we weren't ready for it. We weren't prepared for it. <laughs> we sort of were scrambling from day one. Uh, we moved out of that school in probably three or four months to a bigger school and a bigger school. We just kept moving. Our motto back then was, if you can find us, you can join us. So <laughs> we would move all over the city to find a, a facility big enough to hold the crowds and it just kept growing. So it's been in many ways a dream come true. Oh, Dave, that's great. And of course, you've been married to Anne for how long? 38. 38 oh, years. that's great. And speaking for family life, how long? I think 29. Oh, 28 or 29 wow. years. Yeah, we're almost coming on three decades. Can you explain just a little bit to our listeners, Family Life Marriage Conferences and the effect that it's had on your marriage traveling across the country speaking on marriage? Yeah, well, Ann and I actually went to a Family Life Weekend to Remember two weeks before our wedding. We were in college at the time. You know, I was 22. She was 19. She just finished her freshman year. I just graduated from uh, college. And we were told by the people that were pouring into us spiritually, you cannot get married until you go to this conference because you need God's game plan for marriage. So we just said, okay. And we went to a, a ballroom in a hotel in Chicago and sat through the weekend. Uh, and honestly, and we say this at, now that we speak at the same conference, we, we say we sat there all weekend and didn't take a note. 
Oh. <laughs> we, didn't. we were that couple that thought it can't be that hard. Why are these people writing notes and laughing and struggling? And we honestly sat there and thought, well, we love each other. We love Jesus. We're both sort of perfect. It'll be great. You know, at least I thought I was perfect. So then we got married <laughs> You know, and everybody has that experience. You get married. And it's like, oh my gosh, this is one of the hardest things I've ever done. And we did, we pulled that manual out like the second month and started going back through it because we really didn't listen that well. And we started reading through it. And next thing you know, we were teaching it at the university of Nebraska. Our, my, our first job with, I, I was the chaplain of the Nebraska Cornhuskers athletic teams. So we had uh, married athletes that were senior juniors and seniors in a, in a small group Bible study. And we taught them the family life weekend to remember conference. And so that's where we learned it, you know, after we had to teach it. And then a few years later, uh, Family Life called and asked if we would speak for it. So now we speak around the country doing the same, really the same content from when we went to it. It's been updated a little bit. But as you guys know, when you teach it, you, you learn it much better than anybody that's listening to it. So it's been a joy. It's been a real joy. And it's great, great, great stuff. Hey, unpack a little bit for our listeners when you said – um, you went from basically sitting there, you're in love, you're engaged, you're about to get married to then marriage happened and it was a struggle to kind of list for us. What were some of the things that were a struggle those first couple years? The biggest, I mean, we had a lot of struggles. Um, and I know a lot of couples do, but we could not resolve conflict. I didn't know it at the time, but I avoid conflict and my wife sort of likes conflict. So she would like chase me around the house. <laughs> trying to get me to engage. And I would just, I'm not kidding. I would go to another room. I get in my car, drive away. We would have fights. Uh, I just, and you know, I didn't know it then, but I look back now and I'm, I really had a sort of a belief uh, that conflict is bad. You avoid it at all costs. Now, if you were looking at my life, you'd be like, I know where you got that. I was so naive. I had no idea why I thought that, but I was you know, I grew up in a home with two alcoholic parents and a dad who had affairs, took me on trips when I was four and five years old with his girlfriends while he was still married to my mom. Uh, the alcohol and adultery broke up their marriage when I was seven years old. And the only time I ever saw my mom and dad together, they were fighting and it was loud and abusive and bad and it ended in divorce. So there you go. I mean, I get married and I just avoid all conflict. It got so bad in our first year of marriage. And by the way, you know, like I said, we're in ministry. So every day I'm trying to lead people to Christ and lead Bible studies. And yet I go home and we could not get along. And I'm not kidding. One night I got uh, out of bed two or three in the morning. We weren't sleeping. We were fighting. I had enough. I'm leaving the room. I go downstairs by myself. I open up the Bible, help me God type deal. And I end up in Philippians 120. 21. I know you guys are Bible scholars, so you know what that says, right? <laughs> I know the Latin. I know it more in Latin yeah, than I do. I'm sure you do. Even though it's in Greek, I know you know the Latin. <laughs> okay, let's cut that part. <laughs> no, you, you'll recognize this. This is the verse where Paul says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And I'm not kidding. I'm sitting there on the floor reading this, and I look up at heaven, and I literally say, God, I'd rather die than be married to her. Mm. Oh, please take me home. This is horrible. Here's the, here's the worst part. Anne comes walking in like a minute after that. And we had this little, uh, agreement that we would share anything and everything we've ever said or thought. 
In Where did that come from? <laughs> Who That's gave a bad you idea. Bad that is a really bad idea. We didn't know it was a bad idea until that night because she said, hey, what are you doing? And I said to her, I said, well, I just prayed and asked God to take my life rather than be married to you. And how'd that go over? (laughs) That went over really well. We tell that now at conferences and people laugh and I'm like, yeah, go ahead and laugh at the one of the worst moments of my life. Right, right. Because it sounds funny now, but in that moment, it was real. It was so bad. I was thinking I'd rather be out of here than work this thing out. And so we had a long way to go. I mean, that's, that's uh, chapter one of our book. <laughs> you know, that's where the book starts is like, man, we were done in year one, 38 years later, we've, we have discovered a secret that I think a lot of people don't ever are, are never told and uh, try to apply that, that every day in our marriage. But that's where we started. And honestly, the weekend to remember content, the, the content of what God has designed marriage to be has literally life-changing and legacy shifting. Dave, for uh, some of our listeners, they're newly married. Uh, some have been married for a while. Some, uh, frankly, are single. But what have you learned and what would you share if you had one minute uh, from that time and, and what you now know? If you just had a couple sitting in front of you thinking about marriage um, now in that, in that same position that you found yourself in, what advice would you give them now? They can't make it to a marriage conference, let's say, and so they just want to hear hope. What is it? What would you share? Well, I would start here. I think the biggest misconception in marriage and actually in any relationship is that we tend to think that the person we marry will make us happy. You know, we'll, we'll be, it's really, I call you know, you know, it's, it's the Jerry Maguire syndrome. It's like you complete me and Everybody thinks that, you know, you watch The Bachelor, The Bachelorette. I never watch those shows. I just heard people talk about them. But no, really, if you watch those or any, you know, people are trying to find the one and then they find the one and then they get married. And like, just like Ann and I, you're disappointed at some point. You're like, wow, I'm not as happy as I thought I would be. And I married this person because I thought they'd make me happy. And so often we hear people say, I think I married the wrong person. And we would answer, no, you're looking in the wrong place. The secret is you're never going to find life from a person or amount of money or, 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 or some pleasure horizontally on this earth. There's a, there's a need in your life that is only satisfied vertically through your creator. And so when you turn your eyes off your spouse and look vertically and find out, oh my gosh, God meets that need in an intimate, spiritual, sort of deep way, I now come back to my marriage totally different. I'm not there to get from my spouse. I'm there to give because I have something to give. I'm overflowing with something that the creator gives me, can can fill me up with. And that sort of secret changes everything. Well, let me ask this though, Dave, as a person in Christian ministry he- heading into marriage, wouldn't you have said that you already theoretically knew that, that, that yep. nothing could fill you except God and he's the ultimate source of satisfaction. So what was it about marriage that just completely uh, showed you that 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 was all theoretical and now you're face to face with wanting God to take your life? Yeah, no, I I would have said exactly that, Tim. I would have said, yep, I say this, I preach this. I think when I got in, and I think we all experience this, when you get in the middle of a relationship that you're almost demanding intimacy from that person and you expect it, um, for many reasons, we all expect 
that when we get married, it's just going to be, oh my gosh, this woman, this man is going to give me the cravings of my heart. I think we, we almost, it's like we unplug in a sense from Jesus, from God, even though we say we're getting our life from him and we take that plug and we, we plug it into our spouse. Like, come on, fill me up. Give me what I deserve. Love me, respect me, have sex with me. All the things that I want, I'm not getting those from God. I'm going to get them from you. And then I, I think, honestly, most people really don't even realize they've done that. And so when their spouse doesn't do that, they think, okay, this doesn't work. She doesn't work. I'm going to find another one because I married the wrong person. They don't go back and say, wait, wait, what would it look like? to actually live out what I've said, that I'm going to find life in Christ. What is that? How is that? How does he fill me in such a way that, I mean, I, I still want a great marriage and I still want her in my life, but I don't, I don't need, and I don't, I'm not going to demand that she is the source of my happiness. He is, she isn't. And you know, C.S. Lewis wrote about that, Dave. He said, the fool's way is believing. No, you see, I think marriage really can fill me up. It's just I'm married to the wrong person. So swap out that person. I still think this marriage relationship can fill me up completely. I just happen to marry the wrong person. It's time for me to move on. I think Satan loves to feed that kind of narrative because then you're bouncing from partner to partner to partner looking for that elusive, all-encompassing relationship. Right. Yeah. And again, it's a horizontal search. Yeah. Yep. And no no person horizontally is ever going to do it. Which, of course, leads us to the great title of your book, Vertical Marriage, The One Secret That Will Change Your Marriage. So we're going to do this. We're going to kind of wrap things up a little bit here. But what we want to do in the next podcast is focus on your book. And what's interesting about your book is that you start with this kind of interesting story about a, a surprise that happened to you and Anne one time during a wedding anniversary. Uh, we'd like to kind of hear that story. Uh, but we want to turn our listeners to, you have a great website, daveandannwilson.com. It's awesome. You can check everything about you as a couple, uh, upcoming events. Uh, there's your book, uh, Vertical Marriage. They can check it out. But Dave, uh, we'd like to have you back and uh, talk about the book and talk about your experiences and this one particular experience that really left an imprint on your marriage. Mm -hmm.